Hey, sweetness. Speaking of sweetness, which way is catering? Because I could really go for a jelly donut. With Justine and Bruce. Served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. Find out how you can take advantage of their expertise in consulting, talent buying, production, and marketing services for your next event at VarietyAttractions.com. Today's conversation is going to be with Tony Conway of Conway Entertainment Group. This was a great conversation because I never thought I could have so many great stories with helicopters in it. looking at it i'm gonna hold it and look at it oh you mean the album mm-hmm. your thank you card <laughs> yeah that could have been open I, to a lot of interpretation i just realized yes i that's why i said that because i, I like holding it and i like to look at it <laughs> but we're actually talking about the alabama album so in today's conversation with tony conway who uh manages alabama we were on the topic of thank you cards Ding. Oh, that's the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and you remembered that in your 72 boxes of albums you have in your storage, you have. Yeah, I have a framed Alabama album. In there was a thank you card from the band Alabama when I brought them to an event I was working. And it was a, a card signed by each member, and it was just... The thoughtfulness of think, sending a thank you card. I don't think of all the acts, not that I've been in the business that long, but of all the acts that I've booked, nobody has sent a thank you card like that. They're the only ones? They're the only ones. Hmm. And it, it, it's really a nice touch. And I know that you and I send out thank you cards to people that are on our podcast. Mm-hmm, we do. It's important. It Take is. the time and thank them and handwritten instead of just an email, hey, thanks. And I'm, that, sure, I'm sure everybody will frame ours, too. Oh, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in gold. Mm-hmm. And they're going to insure it. Right. And they won't lose it in their storage. <laughs> like mine. Right. Let's get right into the conversation with Tony. So, Got your backstage pass ready? It's very sticky. All right, let's go. Welcome to another episode of Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce. And on today's show, we are talking with... I would say a legend in this industry. We're really looking forward to talking to him and sharing some stories. His name is Tony Conway. Tony's been, how long you been around, Tony? Well, I've been in the music business for 43 years. So I won't tell you how long I've been around, but (laughs) (laughs) well, actually in the professional music industry for 43 years. The first time I met you, Tony, is I was working for a fair in Wisconsin. I brought in Alabama, which we were very excited about. And that was the first time I actually had the chance to meet you. And it was a great show. I, you know, I think we were sold out at the time and everybody was in good spirits and I'll, I'll never forget it. But uh, being from Wisconsin, we went to the meet and greet after the show 
And when Randy walked out with his uh, Packer shirt, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm back in love with Alabama again. <laughs> yeah. He's a huge Packer fan. He really is. Um, he I mean, it didn't matter where they were on the road on the Sunday, if they were traveling, he would want to watch the, the game. And then um, our tour manager, Jeff Davis, and his father is Jimmy J. Mm-hmm. Uh, are from Wisconsin, and they're you know they're major fans too. So Randy keeps saying, you know, I've I've never been to a Packers game. I've never been to a Packers. Game. I'd love to go to a Packers game. And so finally, they said, well, let's go. So they took Randy and his wife, and they went to the Packers game. I guess about three years ago, and they had a ball. But yeah. He loves the Packers. Well, Lambeau Field is God's country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why they have a G on their helmet. It's God's team. <laughs> it was a little chilly that day. I do remember them telling them. Oh, it, yeah, it usually is. And, and you're probably talking about a game in September. <laughs> yeah, right. We have researched you, Tony, and um, one of your good friends, Todd Bolton, he wanted to make sure that we ask you about one of your nicknames of the great zucchini. Ah, so we'd like to hear how you got that one. Well, you can let your imagination kind of run wild with that if you want. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So you'll tell us the truth or? Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll go down Uh, one road, but you go down the other. Well, it's a it's a it's it's an amazing story and probably one of the dumbest things I've ever done in my entire life. But um, perfect. (laughs) We uh, like those. It was at the it was at the Illinois State Fair when I was back when I was producing fairs. Um, I was also an agent when I was at Buddy Lee Attractions, but Buddy allowed me to produce fairs and festivals. So I that Illinois was one of my state fairs that I produced. So I was up there with Waylon Jennings and Neil Young. I had put them together on a tour. Uh, both of them liked each other. Both of them respected each other. And, and uh, of course, Neil Young being a, you know, a major rock star, he had never really done a tour with the country artists before, but he wanted to. So we went, did that tour, and that was one of the stops. And um, I think we had sold about 12,000 tickets. And so we were there that afternoon for sound check. And at the, at the Illinois State Fair, they booked uh, a helicopter trapeze act uh, by the, uh, a guy named Dave Merrifield, who was did it all over the, the country, really, and was the best at it of anybody. Uh, very dangerous act, to be honest with you, because there was no, he, he did not wear a harness. He didn't wear any kind of a safety device to hold him onto this trapeze. And mm. um, so, you know, really, Every time he went up, nobody knew what was going to happen. So they were they were practicing this act while we were sound checking behind the stage. And I remember Waylon <laughs> Waylon watching this helicopter take off and Dave kind of coming down the trapeze rope and sitting on the trapeze and flying around up in the air, you know. And he was like, "You got to be a crazy son of a bitch." do something like that, wouldn't you think so, Neil? And Neil's like, hell, what, what in the world is he doing, you know? <laughs> and uh, 
And I said, ah, that's, that's easy. That's nothing. And I saw an opportunity there, you know, <laughs> and they go, what are you talking about? I said, oh, I could do that. And they go, yeah, right. You could do that. Sure. I said, no, I, I really could. I could do that. And they go, yeah, well, I bet you, I don't think you can. I said, well, why don't you bet me some money? So um, I think it was around $500 a piece that they bet me that I couldn't do that. And uh, so they went on with the, the sound check. And so, of course, I got off the stage. I walked over to him. I knew Dave Merrifield uh, and had actually booked him on some stuff. So I said, Dave, you need to do me a favor. Now, listen to my story before you say no. <laughs> but I need to do the trapeze. I need to get on the trapeze and go up in the air to win a bet. <laughs> so before you continue, Tony, so you're, you are going to go up in this helicopter on a trapeze, risk your life for a thousand bucks. Well, I had, <laughs> a, I, I had a plan that, that uh, and that's kind of what he said, are you, there's no way in the world I would let you do that. I said, well, I have an idea. If we could only tell the helicopter pilot to go up about 10 feet. Oh, okay. And hover. I win the bet. Oh, okay. right. Okay. Okay. So and if I fall, I won't get killed, you know? And he goes, oh, no. I mean, he did not want to do it. Mm -hmm. He really, really didn't want to do it. And I pushed and pushed and pushed. And I, and so finally he said, well, if you'll agree to practice on a trapeze, we've got one set up over here on the ground. If you, if you agree to practice on that and I see I, you know, I decide you can do it, then we'll, we'll talk about it. So this was an all afternoon thing. So I went and practiced on the trapeze. And one of the things they do, which I didn't realize trapeze artists do is they spray a adhesive on your hands. Uh, it's kind of like glue or sticky or whatever, but whatever mm -hmm. you're holding on to, it gives you much more grip, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, so they showed me how to do that and, and how to hold on to the rope when you're standing up or you're sitting down on the trapeze and all that. So finally he goes, well, I guess you could do it. If, you, if we don't go up at 10 feet, I guess you could do it. I said, great. I said, I got one more thing I need you to do for me. And they said, what? And I said, I need to wear your costume. And he, <laughs> he had this uh, jumpsuit that was like a a bright electric blue, you know, jumpsuit with sequins and bell-bottom pants and and balloon sleeves and uh, it looked like something Elvis would wear. It looks like a looked like an Elvis outfit, really. Yeah. And he goes, "Well, okay, you can wear it." <laughs> so I go in the my bus and I get put this costume on and I I send word to uh, Waylon and Neil Young that I'm gonna do this trapeze act and they better get their money ready. <laughs> but, and now you got the whole band, the whole crew, all the crew guys. Oh yeah. Everybody's oh, out on. Standing backstage watching. This is before the show, you know, before they let the people in the audience in. So I'm not going to come down from the helicopter while it's in the air. I'm going to stand in front of the helicopter and the helicopter is going to go up. And then I'm going to actually stand on the trapeze 
and and go up 10 feet. That that was the plan. Plan. So helicopter starts up. You know, it's it's. Uh, I'm scared to death. To be honest <laughs> with you, and um, they're videotaping it. Some of the crew, Willie Nelson's uh, guys, had a TV show called Bad TV, uh, <laughs> and they Perfect. they would videotape all kinds of stuff on the road and show it on the at night on the way to the next city, you know. So uh, this is going to be good TV. Yeah. yeah. Is that video still around? <laughs> I don't know. Well, there is a copy, but we can't find it. But we're we're looking for it. All right. So. The helicopter takes off. I get on the trapeze and the helicopter does literally take off and goes up about a hundred feet up in the air <laughs> and, and flies around the grandstand. I can see the state capitol. I can, <laughs> I can see the midway. I can see the whole town town of Springfield, Illinois. And I'm oh shit. I am going to die, you know. Yeah. I had no safety harness on, and I can see the little ant people down on the. <laughs> I can see them doing this, you know. Well, what had happened is they didn't. They forgot to tell the helicopter pilot to go up ten feet. Go figure. Whoops. They didn't. They didn't tell him. So he just thought I'm going to do the regular routine, you know. Yeah. He didn't know who I was. Anyway. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And it's a glass bubble helicopter, and I'm looking up at him, <laughs> holding on to the ropes, and he's just looking down at me, smiling, you know. <laughs> and I'm going with one finger, I'm going down because I won't let go of the rope. Down, yeah. go down, down, down. And he was like, Yeah, right. Uh -huh. Yeah. So finally, he must have realized something wasn't right, and he starts to go down. I, and then he, then he gets down about a hundred feet and we were up almost 500 feet, by the way, <laughs> he gets down to about a hundred feet and he stops and he just kind of hovers there. And so I'm just sitting there on the trapeze holding onto the rope. And one of the things they taught me that afternoon was, you know, to hang from your knees. This is how you hang from your knees. You know, you let go of the rope and you just fall back and you hang from your knees. <laughs> uh, and I said, I'm going to try that. I Ooh. think I can do it without falling, you know. I, I'm going to try to do it slowly. So I kind of slid, slid back and let go of the rope, and I dropped and hung from my knees upside down um, and my, spread my arms out, you know, and I'm, I'm completely upside down on the trapeze. Oh, now gosh. I'm saying, okay, I did it. I didn't fall. I'm good. How do I get back up? <laughs> they didn't show me how to get back up. Go. So I'm trying to figure, I mean, it's going to take some serious stomach muscles. To, <laughs> you know, how do you do that? There's no, uh, you're just swinging in the air there. So yeah. I don't know how it happened, but I, I just said, I'm going to go up and I just, Gave every every bit of energy I had, and I got a hold of the rope, sat up. He came down. I jumped off. He went over and landed over there, and uh, <laughs> I won. I won the bet. There you go. Oh That's gosh. what's important. But it was a it was a. I, I do want to say. I mean, it's a it's a great story, but it was stupid and dumb, and it was the worst 
thing I could have ever done without really thinking about it because my wife was pregnant with one of our children. Um, you know, my uh, buddy Lee found out about it right after it happened. Somebody called him and he was livid. You know, how could you do that and uh, risk your life? And, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so it taught me a great, it taught me a really good lesson, you know. You might want to try to impress somebody someday doing something that you've never done. Don't do it. So then what'd you spend the thousand dollars on? I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. I probably gave it to my wife. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I probably did. But um, but I everybody, the great zucchini. <laughs> that, that was the name that they they gave me was the great zucchini. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's awesome. Oh man. That's a true story. I uh, you can't make that kind of stuff up. I'd yeah, probably I mean, pee my pants. Yeah, I don't know how you even. I, 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 you know, I remember at a time I had Nick Walenda do his longest walk ever, and he didn't have a harness. You know what? I work with him now. Do you? And and he doesn't use any kind of safety. Oh, well, he does. It depends on the conditions. He did when he did the last big ABC special. He uh, walked over a, a live volcano. Yes. Uh, he wasn't going to use any harness or safety harnesses, but there's a gas. They, they realized that when they got there, there's a gas that comes up from the fire in the volcano that is can be deadly. I mean, if you breathe mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. so they had a, he had to wear a gas mask before he started. And, uh, but they did put a cable on him for that walk but yeah but he he told me he said well bruce don't worry about it because i know i know how to fall <laughs> and i'm like i know how to fall too but i would be seriously injured just watching him do that kind of stuff every time i see him on tv ever yeah. since then the blood just races out of my head into my feet i'm just like white as a ghost yeah pivoting on your comment about producing shows and just telling stories. I'm sure you have volumes of them, but are there a couple that you could share with us that stand out? You know, something that happened backstage, something that happened on the stage, something. Well, I can tell you one that happened at the Wisconsin State Fair. Billy Griner was the fair manager at the time. Our agency, uh, although it was established as a country music talent agency and at one time the largest country music talent agency prior to William Morris or CAA or APA getting into country music. Uh, we also were the only really only fair agency in the country that did rock. We, we did deals with all the rock agencies around the, in Los Angeles or New York where we represented those artists for fairs and festivals. So that, that particular year I had Alice Cooper. And um, so everybody wanted Alice Cooper. And so we, we were, we Billy booked Alice Cooper at the Wisconsin State Fair. And I'm not sure what your grandstand held, but I, 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 I wanna say it was around 15 or 16,000 people. It was packed and um, 
And so Billy was there. I was backstage. I had flown up for the show. Um, it, you could just tell everybody was in a great mood. Everybody was ready for this thing to get going. And uh, showtime was eight o'clock. And about 10 minutes before eight, uh, Billy comes over to me and he goes, hey, we, you know, it's important, Tony, that we start on time tonight because we've got a big, we've got a bigger crowd than normal. So I want to start on time and end on time and get them back out on the, the fairgrounds, you know. I said, yes, sir. That shouldn't be a problem. So now it's eight o'clock. And uh, there's the band, Alice Cooper's band and Alice Cooper are not off of the bus. Uh-oh. And so Billy comes up to me and he goes, you need to get your boys on stage, you know? And so I said, all right, well, you know, I knew Alice Cooper. I knew his manager. That's who, mostly who I dealt with. But I, you know, I just said, well, yeah, you're right. So I go over to the bus, knock on the door. Guy opens the door. I say, "Hey, I'm Tony Conway. I'm the I'm the agent for this date. I need to speak to Alice uh, or the tour manager or something." He said, "Well, come on in." And he said, uh, "They're in the back. Our Alice is in the back stateroom." I said, "All right." So I go back there. The door shut. Knock on the door. He opens it, and he says, "Yeah, can I help you?" I said, "Hey, I'm Tony Conway." He said, "Oh yeah, I remember." He said. I said, it's time to go on stage. It's eight o'clock and the show's supposed to start right now. He goes, oh, I have to put my makeup on. I haven't put my makeup on yet. You know, and Alice Cooper had a lot of makeup. He, he made his face look like a skull, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, hurry up, please hurry <laughs> up. So I go off the bus and, and Billy's standing outside the door. And he said, are they coming? And I said, well, they'll be here in just a minute. They had, he was having a little problem with his makeup. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big he's problem. And uh, he said, well, I hope so. And so now it's about eight or nine minutes late after oh. eight o'clock. Uh oh. And Billy's very upset. And I think he'd had a couple of beers. <laughs> uh, and he said, I'm going to tell you, Tony, if he's not on that stage, in five minutes, he's not, I'm, you're not getting paid. He's not getting paid. You're not getting paid. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, oh, well, okay. <laughs> that's a problem. Go tell him. So I, I go back on the bus and I said, guys, if we don't go on now, they're not going to pay. And they said, okay, let's go. And here comes like seven guys off of that bus, like a, you know, a herd of cattle coming out of a, a gate. And everybody comes off. They run up on stage. But I realized that Alice is not with them. Mm. And uh, and so the road manager comes back and he goes, OK, let's get. He said, do you have any uh, security here? We can get him up to the stage. And I was like, yeah, there's some state troopers. He said, oh, he's he's petrified of state police. He's, I said, well, the, that's the only security I've got back here. OK, well, we got the five state troopers and he made them make a circle with their arms and put Alice in the middle so nobody could see him. <laughs> and they walked him to the stage, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as he went up the steps, 
there was like 30 seconds left on that deadline that Billy mm. gave me, you know? And I looked at him and I said, are we okay? And he goes, once I hear the music, you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and right then they kicked into it. Oh, but good. That, was a, that was a great story. And then the next night we were in Louisville, Kentucky at the Kentucky State Fair. They, they wanted to create, Buddy always wanted to create some kind of buzz about a show and maybe sell some more tickets the day of. So he came up with this idea. Um, he goes, you need to get a hold of the newspaper in Louisville and tell them that you, you are with the Alice Cooper show and there we have a little problem and that you were wondering if a reporter could help you uh, spread the word because Alice Cooper had flown in on a commercial flight from Milwaukee to Louisville and they lost his snake. <laughs> he had a big snake that he put around his yeah. around him while he did his show. A big, boa, a big boa constrictor. Well, they hadn't lost it, but this was the story, you know? Yeah. To get everybody all excited. So I called the newspaper and then they sent a reporter out to the airport and they're going to the baggage claim and they're, you know, they're showing all this stuff. And Alice Cooper's lost his boa constrictor for the show tonight. And now they're starting to interview the airport people and they're going, what do you mean he's lost his snake? <laughs> well, you've got a boa constrictor loose here somewhere in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> so it made the five o'clock news and it was nothing but Alice Cooper, you know? Yep, there you which go. Was, which was the plan. Uh, and they did actually sell about 800 more tickets that day. There you uh, go. Which was, which was great. But um, yeah. So that's my Alice Cooper, little Alice Cooper story. I remember at the Indiana State Fair, uh, I'd booked Wayne Newton and um, we put him in the Coliseum instead of the grandstand. And I, I'm glad we did because uh, that night it rained really hard. It, and the Coliseum, I think, it was a horse arena, really. And it was dirt floor. And so when Wayne Newton got there and he brought a, like a 20 piece orchestra with him. I mean, this was a, a Las Vegas show. Mm -hmm. And he was like, ah, we can't do this show in here with this dirt floor. He said, the dust, there's too much dust in here. It's gonna affect his voice. And I said, well, this is the only place we're gonna be able to do the show and it's pouring down rain. And so I'm glad we're not in the grandstand. Uh, well, we can't do it, Tony. I said, well, let me, let me, give me a minute. Let me see what I can do, you know? <laughs> so I, I go back to Bruce. I uh, can't remember his last name at the moment, but he was the manager of the state fair. And I said, I got a big problem. Wayne Newton says he's not going to do the show because it's in the Coliseum. It's dirt and there's a lot of dust and, and uh, he, it gets in his voice and he goes, uh, Oh, that's no problem. He said, we have, we have to, wetting the the dirt all the time for the oh. horse shows mm -hmm. he said so what we'll do is you know before we start putting the chairs down we'll wetten we'll run the tractor in there and spray it down and uh you won't have any dust it'll be fine so i run back to wayne newton's uh 
dressing room and I said, okay, Mr. Newton, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna come in with the tractor with the water on the back of it and they're gonna spray down this, this whole thing and then they're gonna put the chairs up and they're gonna do this, they're gonna time it so that they, you know, it'll be right before they let the people in and you won't have any dust. And he goes, well, okay, okay. So that part worked. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that part worked great, but they did wet it too much, I guess, mm -hmm. because when the people came in, you know, which was probably three or 4,000 people on the floor with metal folding chairs, uh, the chairs started to sink in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> people got, you know, their chairs were kind of just stuck. <laughs> Some people were below two or three inches lower than they were where they're supposed to be. And they couldn't see over the people in front of them. Oh. Started getting complaints from the audience. Of course, Wayne Newton was great. You know, he went and did his show. He didn't have any problem. Yeah. Uh, but the audience had problems because we had to wet the the, the track the down. Yeah. <laughs> just so well, those are the kind of things that the public never really hears about. But you know, those kind of things go on day in and day out. I remember, <laughs> um, I think it was the Tennessee State Fair where we had had an act from England, Palmer, Robert Palmer. Oh. Mm -hmm. but, and he had a big video with these girls dancing on a, one of his hits, you know. And But he was quite full of himself. I'd never met him before, but I bought him because I was producing the fair. And, um, but he was just, uh, when he arrived, from the time he arrived till the time he left, he was difficult to deal with on everything, from the food to the dressing room to the, you name it. And so <laughs> the, the big important thing to him was he had to have a limousine to leave after the show. He would walk off stage, get in the limousine, and he wanted a police escort to the hotel. So we got a limousine. The only place we could get a limousine was from the funeral home. Uh, Ooh. But we, got, we got a limousine, and they got him to the to the show. Did he have to lay in the back? <laughs> no, he didn't have to lay in the bag. But so the fair manager, he'd had about enough of Robert Palmer. Yeah. And uh, quite honestly, I had too. He'd put us through the ringer. And so while he was on stage doing the show, we said, what is, what is it? you know, maybe we can take care of it this way. When he comes off stage, because I mean, literally the steps come off the stage, that's where the limo was. So that's where the limo was parked when he went on. So we said, okay, we're gonna make the limo disappear. And there won't be a limo there when he comes off stage. Oh. But we're gonna have a van over <laughs> here with the guy in it, a driver, just so happened to be over here somewhere in sight with nothing in it but an empty van, no seats, <laughs> no folding chairs, no nothing, okay? And uh, so when he comes off, he's gonna say, where's my limo? And then the, he's gonna get upset. And he says, I gotta get in the road manager. I gotta get him to the hotel. We gotta get him, where's the limo? And, I, and I'm gonna go, hey, well, we, well, our, one of our runners can get him there right now. Come here, 
And so the van comes, they slide the door open. <laughs> he jumps in, not realizing there's no seats. <laughs> we slam the door and off they go. And they, the driver told me he kind of rolled back. <laughs> and took off. But I, I think he was probably very upset with us. But that poor oh, driver. Yeah. Oh, he probably got an earful. Oh, man. Over the years, Tony, have you ever witnessed any like super weird, like superstitions for some of your bigger acts? Like was anybody yeah. sitting in a teepee rubbing crystals together before going on stage? Yes. Ricky Van Shelton. Um, Ricky has a belt and a buckle that he has worn or had worn every show he'd ever done his whole career. And he wore it in every recording session, every television show, every award show. Hmm. It's the same buckle. It's a, it had a star and a half moon. Uh, but he was superstitious and, and it was his good luck belt buckle. And he didn't, he felt like if he didn't have it, he couldn't hmm. do the show, you know? Yeah. So we were in um, DeCoin, Illinois. And they were, we were filming a big, TV special called From uh, Grit to Gold. He was from Grit, Virginia. Mm. And uh, it was called From Grit to Gold. And the show was sold out. I think they had 8,000 people in the grandstand. We had the uh, TNN film crew there. Um, it was a big deal. And about 30 minutes before the show, Michael Campbell, his manager, comes to me and he goes, we got a we got a big problem. I said, what? He goes, well, Ricky says that he forgot his belt buckle at the hotel in Carbondale. Uh, oh, boy. Carbondale from DeCoin is about 30 miles. But uh, the DeCoin State Fair is really out in the middle of southern Illinois. It's cornfields. I mean, it's a beautiful, one of the most beautiful fairgrounds I've ever been to, but it's really out in the middle of the country. So it's two lane roads. There's no interstates. It's just county roads. And the traffic coming from St. Everywhere from St. Louis, Carbondale, Spring, you know, any place that goes to DeCoin was bumper to bumper because you're talking a half hour before the show and people are still, you know, rolling into the fairgrounds. And so there was no way to get a vehicle and get to Carbondale and get back in time. And so I said, well, just tell him, you know, and he was my artist. I was his agent. I said, well, just tell him that, you know, he can do this, this one show without his buckle. Oh, boy. You go tell him. <laughs> so I went down and told him, I said, Ricky, we, you know, we can't get you. We can't get the buckle because we can't get a car there and back because of the traffic. And uh, you just got to go do this. He said, Tony, I'm not doing the show unless I got my buckle. Uh, you know, when these things happen, you don't know what to do. You just, you just use your imagination and just try to think, what can I do? What can I do? And so that the manager of the DeCoin Fair was a guy, Mike Du Bois. And so I went up to him and I said, Mike, uh, I got to get to Carbondale. I was thinking what I thought in my mind was we'll start the show with the opening act. And if it takes a while for them to get back, we'll just somehow keep things going. And since it's a TV special, we don't have to start, you know, we can start and stop. Mm -hmm. 
the audience won't like it, but we'll get through it. Um, he goes, can't drive, can't this. He says, follow me. Where's his manager? I said, Michael, come here. And so he said, follow me, you two. So he, we follow him. He goes out of the grandstand over to the side over here where there's a helicopter, a guy giving helicopter rides. That's hey, the, the great zucchini. <laughs> yeah, but this was before the great zucchini. <laughs> and he, he goes up to the guy and he and he's whispering. The helicopter's spinning. There's people in line to take rides, you know. They bought tickets. And he says, and then I see him say, come on, come on. So we run over there. It doesn't have any doors on this helicopter, but and it's a it's really a two-person helicopter, but the three of us get in. Mm. And, and and we say, well, he says, oh, you're going to the Holiday Inn in Carbondale, Illinois. That's where you want to go. <laughs> and we said, yeah. He says, okay, well, put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Wow. He, he takes off and he starts flying uh, low. I mean, he said, I'm going to fly low because I didn't file a flight plan. Mm. And uh, I'm going to get in trouble if I'm caught. And he said, the only thing I'm going to ask you two to do is look for any other planes. If you see any other planes coming towards <laughs> us, let me know when the first time you see them, you know? Oh, boy. Uh, because there was an airport, I guess, in Carbondale. So we get to, we can finally see the lights of the city. And then we, and then, you know, he doesn't know where he's going. I don't know where we're going, but Michael, the manager, does because he had been there. He said, look for the Holiday Inn sign. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh we're looking, and there it is. And there was like a little, I don't know, couple hundred foot square grass field beside the Holiday Inn parking lot. And he said, okay, I'm going to land there. And uh, he said, here. He gave each one of us a flashlight. And he goes... Now, when I start to go down, I want you to look on your side over here and your side over here. And I want you to see if you see any telephone lines of wire. <laughs> oh, man. You know, just keep going up and down. And if you see them, tell me. I mean, this was crazy. Yeah. But so we landed. And the funniest thing about this story, Michael Campbell's a funny guy. He's, he's, he should have been a comedian. But we land and he jumps out of this helicopter. And of course, everybody comes out of the hotel on the balconies and on the ground. They're all coming out of their rooms. And Michael says, he starts yelling to the people, get down, get down, everybody get down. <laughs> and everybody just drops to the ground. <laughs> and he takes off running to, to the room, opens the door, gets the belt buckle, there runs we go. back to the helicopter, off we go. And we, as we circle the grandstand, it's about two minutes after eight. And we land, run that belt to him. He puts it on and show starts. Boom. My goodness. Oh, That's man. nuts. Black Hawk down. All for a belt buckle. Yeah. All for a belt buckle. That's, That's a heavy superstition right there. Yeah, that to right? the nth yeah. degree. <laughs> yeah. yeah these stories are great. So we're going to just kind of keep you going with this. I mean, at some point those like Garth groupies were probably pretty intense, right? But he, but Garth is one that took his time with everybody. And it was 
to those of us that were running the shows and, and making things happen on time uh, and getting him to the next city, it became a big problem. You know, the, the bigger he got, the more people were wanting to come backstage. And so we had to control it, you know? So uh, back then he didn't really have a problem if there was 50 people mm -hmm. backstage after the show to meet. Uh, but it, all of a sudden it turned into a hundred mm -hmm. yeah. and then 150 yeah. and it just got to be too many people. But I remember, um, and I'm trying to think which, which event it was, which Pharaoh was at with him. Um, I can't remember. Maybe it was Michigan. Anyway, there were so many people back there and I could see the line was going to go at least another hour. And if he didn't leave in the next five minutes, he wouldn't make it to the next city in time because, you know, they all traveled on the same bus. The band and Garth, he didn't have a separate bus or he wasn't flying on a private plane or anything like that. So mm -hmm. they all traveled together. And I mean, he it, this was like two in the morning. We were still meeting people and mm -hmm. taking pictures. And it was just, and I, so I went up to him and I, I politely said, Garth, we've got to stop, you know, we've got to stop this. And um, we, we, otherwise you're not going to make it to the next city that you're going to go to. And he goes, well, I got to, these people are here. Don't let any more people get here, but, but these, I've got to meet these people. That's the kind of person he was, you know? Nice. And I said, well, but you're gonna, you're not gonna make it. He said, I'll stay here, send the band on. They can go now. He said, uh, I'll figure a way to get to the next city. You know, you and I'll figure a way to get to yeah. the next city. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's very gracious. Uh, yeah. And so that's what happened. We sent the band and the crew and the equipment and everything left right then. Mm -hmm. And he stayed for another hour, maybe another hour and a half and met every single person and he would, you know, he would take time to talk to them and he'd want to know what their name was and, and if they were married or they weren't, or they had children or, you know, stuff that most artists don't do. Mm -hmm. When I got involved with Alabama, the one, the one subject that they brought up was, you know, Tony, we've got to do something about these meet and greets after the show or before the show, because two things, if it's before the show, um, uh, Alabama's very uh, uh, ritual. They have a ritual. And they, you know, like um, the lead singer, Randy Owen, he doesn't talk to anybody for two hours before he goes on stage. And it's something to do with his voice. You know, he protects mm -hmm. his voice. He won't talk. So if I want to talk to him, I write down on a piece of a legal pad and I show it to him and then he writes the answer, you know? Mm -hmm. But that's the way he's, that's the way he is. And uh, which is a good thing because it helps mm -hmm. his voice. So he said, you know, we can't, I can't be in a meet and greet before the show anymore. Uh, and after the show, he said, you know, you got to limit it because what's happening is we're standing after we do a 90 to 120 minute show on stage at our age. Then we have to come off and we got 20 minutes to cool down. And then we we're standing again and talking for another two hours 
mm-hmm. or an hour or two hours with with uh, the people, we're, we're actually standing longer doing a meet and greet than we were on stage. And he put those two together and all of a sudden you got four hours of us standing there, you know, and it's, I understand, you know. So we've really, uh, on that particular artist or that group, we've, we've really limited the, the meet and greets to, uh, unless it's an absolute mandatory something, sure. we don't mm-hmm. do them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fans understand, I re- they really do. That's one of the special things about country music mm-hmm. is that they have a special relationship with their fans and that they they have access to their fans and the fans have access to them. And they actually also, you know, in a lot of cases, they kind of communicate with them throughout the year. Before there was internet, a lot of acts had huge mailing lists and they once a month, they would send out letters from the artists to their fans saying, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm recording. Here's where we're getting ready to go on tour. You know, it was really... Um, keeping everybody in the loop and keeping making them feel like they were part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and that still goes on today. Thanks for joining us backstage and visit Justine and I at varietyattractions.com. Get your backstage pass and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Which Way is Catering with Justine and Bruce, served up by Variety Attractions, celebrating 60 years of entertainment excellence. Find out how you can take advantage of their expertise in consulting, talent buying, production, and marketing services for your next event at varietyattractions.com.